Hey there, green future growers. Thanks for joining us today. If you're new to the show, I hope you'll subscribe on iTunes or your favorite Android app. And let's get growing. Get your copy of the Organic Oasis Guidebook available today from Amazon. It's got 12 lessons designed to help you create your own organic oasis. Um, it starts with healthy soil. It talks about building an earth-friendly landscape. It helps you understand the difference between annuals and perennials and how to bring in beneficial insects. It talks about fruit trees and just um, all the lessons that I've learned on my podcast mixed with what Mike and I have done here. Okay. What Mike has done here at Mike's Green Garden and just um, I hope that it will help you on your garden journey uh, to create, like I said, your own organic oasis, um, where you can have healthy food and enjoy, um, you know, a very special place. And most of all, it's good for mother earth. Let's turn record on so I don't forget. It should be easy to edit. So like if you need to do something or you want to, you know, get a drink or let the pet out or anything, you know, don't hesitate to put me on hold. Okay, that's good and to know. Then, yeah, I'm just sitting here by the pool. Uh, cool. Well, do you have any questions for me then? Um, no. I mean, I know that you sent those questions ahead of time. Um, I'm not much of a gardener. I, I don't think anyone should really be relying on my gardening expertise, but happy to talk about any hemp building topics or any other direction the conversation goes. Cool. Well, I call my listeners green future growers because we're all dedicated to building a greener future. And I actually had a guest who's an organic farmer on the east side of Montana who grew a hemp field. And one of the things they talked about when they grew their hemp crop was making sure you had a market for your hemp product. And as more people are growing hemp, my listeners are probably interested in things that they can do with hemp and then my husband and i are very interested in building like a hemp crete house or some kind of house out of hemp someday down like my husband's always wanted to do a straw bale house but if we could do it out of hemp i mean that would be amazing yeah totally would and it's so, so exciting to see all the renewed interest in using hemp for different applications across the united states and it yeah. sounds like what that eastern montana farmer uh, was saying, you know, is right on. Um, you've got to have an idea of where the plant's going to end up and who's going to be buying it and using it for what purpose um, before you even start farming. Uh, welcome to the Green Organic Gardener podcast today. So this is only, I think, the second episode I've actually done since we rebranded, like recorded since I made that announcement. It is Saturday, December 28, 2019. Only four days left, I think, till we hit a new decade, 2020. And what I like, I'm so excited about my guest today because um, although we might not talk so much gardening. We're going to talk about something you can do with a potential crop for your garden. It just seems to be on the tip of everybody's tongues. I actually had a hemp business way back in 1993 and tried to sell like sweatshirts we made out of hemp and bags we made out of hemp and these almost awesome, cool hemp journals. We made hemp overalls. I still have pairs of hemp overalls in my house. Historical. Anyway, today we're here to talk about if you want to grow some hemp. Um, a hemp building expert uh, from Hempitech 
picture. Mike said, you have to interview these guys. He found them on Facebook and they make building with hemp easy. So here to talk to us today is Tommy Gibbons. Welcome to the show, Tommy. Thank you. Thank you, Jackie, for having me. That was an incredible introduction and I'm excited to be speaking with you. Oh, well, I'm so excited. Like I, I'm kind of like, part of me is like, oh my gosh, we've been waiting for this for so long. Like we thought they were going to like, you know, make hemp able to grow in the United States way back in the nineties. And that finally it has passed and people are starting to grow hemp, especially like I talked to Tara Keaton at the Rodale Institute last January or February. And I was like, what's going on in our country. And since then it has just been an explosion. And so, um, anyway, I'm glad to see it. And I'll stop talking and go ahead and tell listeners a little bit about you and your business and where you're located and just, it's all you. Yeah, there's there's so much to tell about the story that we've embarked on with our company. And I want to say, you know, a lot of the progress that's been made um, getting hemp legalized and, and grown federally across the United States is thanks to the people in the 90s who've been fighting this battle for so long. So it's been a cumulative effort of a lot of people uh, coming together to get us to where we are today. And and truly, the whole future is ahead of us in this industry. So that's what we look towards. Um, but we are Hempitecture. We're based in Ketchum, Idaho, which is adjacent to the ski resort Sun Valley. Um, we have been in business since 2014, where we built the first commercial hempcrete building in the United States. And we do exactly what you just said, is we make building with hemp easy. So we consult on different building projects. We train people how to work with hemp building materials. We sell building materials and equipment for the installation of those materials. And then we can actually come to your job site and professionally install our hemp insulation materials. And, you know, it's insulation for now. Two main insulation products, hempcrete and hemp wool. But in the future, who knows what type of hemp building projects are, and materials can be out there for, for use. So it's really exciting. Uh, the reasons for using hemp, we can get into those deeply are, are many fold and it's something that people have caught an interest in we've seen growing in the United States. Awesome. So uh I don't know where do you want to start? Like it makes me think um way back way before 2014 or maybe in 20 maybe it was even 2014. I just remember going up to our senator was having this business um which state in 2014 I'm in Montana. Oh, and so okay. our senator is right. John Tester. And I'm just thinking that I remember going to like this business thing and I went up to him and I was like, what, you know, what's the deal with hemp? And he actually, John Tester is one of those organic farmers in Eastern Montana. And mm-hmm. he said the problem was the police couldn't tell the difference between hemp and a marijuana crop. And that was why we couldn't do it. And I've just always been so frustrated since he said that, because to me, somebody who's growing cannabis is not going to let any seeds near their crop. Mm-hmm. And people who are growing hemp um, don't care. And so right there, you alone could just like, I just felt like that was like the lamest excuse. And maybe that doesn't have anything to do with what we're talking about now, because we finally did pass the hemp growing bill. So No, but it, it does. And it's still relevant to today, because in Idaho, oh, you can't cool. cultivate, grow, and you're just now recently able to transport hemp in the state of Idaho. It's, it's pretty crazy. And it was for that exact reason that you cited, is people didn't feel like they'd be able to tell the difference between marijuana flower passing through the state and hemp flower passing through the state. Now, the threshold that's been accepted federally is a 0.3% THC um, threshold. Now, you have to send that out for testing, and Idaho Police Enforcement didn't feel like they wanted to pay for the testing or rely on the testing or had a, a reliable testing source 
that's in place. And that's ultimately what bumped our adoption of the federal farm bill to, again, this year's legislation cycle where, where hopefully we have better success in getting positive legislation passed. But there's all this confusion in terms of what is hemp and what is marijuana, and it does come down to the THC content of the plant. Now, that all aside, when you're talking about hemp-based building materials, you use hemp that looks nothing like uh, smokable cannabis flower, and in fact has no THC content because you're using the stems or the fibers. And um, so it's a, it's a whole different animal. So we don't bump too much into that problem. I mean, luckily now things are legal. The, the transportation and the cultivation is, um, is permitted. But it, it is only recently, and in, in some states, the battle persists that it became very important whether or not it was above or below the THC line. So where do you get your hemp then? From local people in Idaho? No, we don't because they're still not growing in Idaho. Um, we, our current supplier is actually out of Quebec. And we've had suppliers more local uh, in Kentucky and the United States until uh, this year, actually. Um, and we see more growers and more processors coming online all the time. And there's really two phases to the materials and getting them ready for what we use them for is you not only have to grow them, but you ne then need to process them because we are using the inner wooden core of the industrial hemp stock. And so that needs to be chopped up and then bagged into what's called something called hemp herd or what we call hemp core. And then th those bags are mixed with a lime binder. And that's where you get this kind of wet wood chip hempcrete material that you can put in between form boards, it takes the shape of your wall and it acts as a uh, thermal and thermal and moisture regulator. And I know I just gave you the whole basically from plant to to wall, but but that is the transition. So right now we're at the stage where the growers might be there, but a lot of growers are growing for CBD. Sorry, there's a plane buzzing overhead. A lot of growers are growing for CBD and you can't use the leftover biomass from the CBD plant um, as feedstock for the hemp that we use for building. Um, at this current time, because, you know, you're thinking about the CBD plant, that's a short bushy plant that grows out and flowers. When you're talking about industrial hemp use for building, you're growing very densely, tall growing, fast bamboo like um, cultivars of hemp. And my understanding is it's really controlled by how you sow the seeds. If you give the plant space to grow wide, it'll branch out and wide and grow it in flower. If you grow it um, more tightly and more densely, it will only go up and it'll, it'll grow that long fiber um, and, and that long stem that you can cult, uh, collect a lot of biomass from. But you might actually know more about that than me. I know you guys are the plant experts. Well, it's that Tara Keaton down at the Rodale Institute in Pennsylvania that kind of turned me on to this. And she was talking. So, what they're, so the Rodale Institute, if you don't yeah. know, no, uh, I'm familiar with them, but I, Maybe listeners don't know. I'll just like quickly. So they've yep. been running a test trial since like the 1960s, I think, at least for 40 years that compares side by side organic practices versus um, conventional practices. And so she's the head botanist. She's got a master's degree in botany and she's been doing, you know, they've been growing the hemp trials ever since they said they could grow hemp. And she, the big thing for them is and hopefully this is going to be after their second year 
the first year they used it as a cover crop. And then after they pulled out the hemp, they put in the soybeans and they had really bad, I want to say they either had like a drought or they had flooding. Whatever happened, the conditions for the soybeans were really bad. And where the conventional soybean crop was grown, they couldn't take that. They really like lost all their money. Like it wasn't enough to make a profit. But where the hemp had grown before the soybeans, the soybeans were able to still go to market and they were be able to make a profit. And so that hemp could probably be grown the exact same way as the hemp that you need. I don't know for sure, but like some of the stuff that they're doing is like hemp as a soil builder. I mean, it has great roots. There's yeah, so much in that plant. And so um, anyway, I don't know the answer. Well, <laughs> Long story short, but that's what I'm thinking. Like I'm hoping like you'll be able to put some hemp seeds in your garden to improve your soil and then maybe have a crop that comes out that you could use. Totally. It's used as a rotational crop all the time. And my co-founder had actually suggested that we oh. get someone from the Rodale Institute to speak at our hemp building summit last year. And, um, or someone was potentially interested in speaking. And luckily we're having the summit again this year in 2020. Um, so we can include them next time, but we knew that they were specifically researching regenerative, um, sustainable farming practices and were very, very optimistic on hemp's ability to fulfill that role. And that's what my listeners are totally interested in because like, mm-hmm. even we're like about to launch the official Patty Armbruster um, fan club. So she's been a guest on my show and she talks all about regenerative, sustainable farming. Like that is her biggest thing and, and doing it through growing cover crops. Yeah. Uh, it's so interesting. Like on the front page of our local paper, like the Tobacco Valley News this week, there is a thing about this um, storage company in Eureka in my little town that has 65 million hemp seeds in one of its things. And there is a, like one of the biggest CBD companies just happens to be in Eureka. I don't know why I haven't had much um like uh, I haven't really talked to them all that much other than I know that they've had problems like having enough hemp for them to make their CBD. But these seeds, they, they're saying, claiming it's $13 million worth of seeds, these 65 million hemp seeds. Why they're sitting here, I don't really understand the whole article. Something about they didn't pay their rental fee for the unit. They're arguing about there's like two lawsuits. Just funny, but isn't it? But of course, these seeds... Like, it just drives me crazy that we can't be growing all these seeds in the United States. Like, in Montana, if you want to grow a pot of hemp, so you had to apply by May 15th, 2019, if you wanted to grow it this year, you had to pay a $450 fee, you had to get fingerprinted, and you had to get your seeds from four sources, and I'm pretty sure all of them were in Canada. And this just infuriates me. Like, even if I just want to grow a patch of hemp like a quarter of an acre or a garden bed full you have to do all these things and like um anyway we want to talk about uh your business a lot of red tape no no i totally understand there's it's um there are a lot of formalities and things that are kind of still staying in the way of making this something that can be so easily done and it is a plant a plant that's this is part of human history for for longer than this government has and um it's been a fight. It's been a fight in trying to readapt the laws, but the laws are changing and I'm optimistic they'll arrive in the, in the correct places. Okay. And then let's talk about the cool things you're building. So the first yeah. commercial 
building in the United States out of hemp, but what did you call it? Hemp Hempcrete. Yeah, Hempcrete. So that was a panelized wall system. The Hempcrete panels were prefabricated and then stood up. And I think it was the first building that was constructed in that nature in the United States. And again, I mean, we're talking about hemp building. This, these are industries that have existed for 20, 30 years in France, in the UK, and um, in even Australia. And it's just something that's so new to the United States because of our unfamiliarity with growing hemp. Um, and so we built the first public commercial hempcrete building. That was 2014. And then in 2018, we built, which was the largest hempcrete structure in the United States, the first renovation and addition to a house. It was in Bellingham, Washington. And that's called the Highland Hemp House. And then from there, this year, we've added, you know, four more projects. We did a research project in conjunction with the Princeton University Architecture Department. We did a second house out at Idaho Base Camp, which was the same location as the first house. And we actually sprayed hempcrete in, and that was the first example of spraying hempcrete directly into the wall um, for an increased labor efficiency. And then we built a small ski cabin out near us in Idaho. and. Um, and that's actually also a panelized example where we poured the hempcrete flat into panels and then stood it straight up. And then we showed all of these buildings off at our hemp building summit that we had in October this year that was attended by all these international experts who came and everyone from around the country who's been interested in this subject got together in one room and, and networked and collaborated. And it was a huge step forward for the people in our industry. And we also launched a new product and that product's called Hemp Wool. And it's made from the same type of cultivar of industrial hemp, which is the long fiber, but it uses the fiber rather than the shiv. And it's wound together with polyester. So it's 92% hemp fiber, 8% polyester. And it's an insulation product that's used just like fiber bat insulation, just like mineral wool, just like sheep's wool, except it's non-toxic, it's carbon negative, and it's um, environmentally friendly. Right? There's no off-gassing, no VOCs. And so we see this product as something that could be a direct competitor to people who are going to use more traditional insulation materials. While there's still the option to use hempcrete, but hempcrete is more of like a straw bale, adobe clay, uh, more of a natural building strategy that's kind of changing different elements of your wall. You're not using a vapor barrier. You're using pla uh, plaster or other breathable finishes. Um, you're accommodating for... Uh, having the, the frame potentially on the inside, buried inside the hempcrete. And so you're running electrical conduit through beforehand. There's a few considerations to building a hempcrete house. And for people that aren't ready to make that step, but still want to have hemp product in the construction of their house, um, you know, hemp is an alternative that's probably a lot simpler for them. Okay. I want to hear about all this stuff. And I know Mike is going to like, this might be the very first episode he listens to. <laughs> but he was like, I was like, hey, I'm going to talk to the hemp protector guy. And he was like, all right. So, like, uh, well, what do you do and you know, I come to this with no building background at all. So I understand that I may have talked about different building parts and we walk in and out of buildings all the time, but really don't know what goes into making them or how to build them ourselves. So um, I, I often forget how little I knew before I even started working at hemp protector. So please remind me if there's anything I can expand upon. Okay. Um, so, if I, what do they do with the hemp wool? Be that's like an insulation product 
too, but it's instead of spraying the hempcrete. Yeah. So they use different parts of the hemp plant. Both products are insulation. And one is just a lot is designed to be much more similar to current insulation products on the market. So if you ever go to Home Depot or Lowe's and you see the pink fiberglass stuff that you kind of unroll and you stick it in between the stud cavities, that's exactly like hemp wool. Hempcrete is something where you're more like pouring concrete and you're forming this and you're pouring this wet material in and then it dries. You know, hemp wool is dry the whole time. Um, So they have different properties. You know, hempcrete is a like a thermal mass ball that because of its depth, because of its um, weight to it, it's able to hold on to heat and then disperse that heat at night. Whereas hemp wool is, is more just a thermal insulation. You know, it's like the same type of stuff that goes inside a down jacket. It's just going to slow the transmission of heat in and out of your building. And it's a durable, long-lasting plant-based material. So it has many other noteworthy qualities that make it an advantage, you know, a better material than something like fiberglass. And what about cost? Is it more expensive or less expensive? I'm sure the price will come it, down if it, it is, is more expensive it, right now, but. Totally, totally it is. And it's actually sourced from Quebec as well for us for the time being. And we are the American distributor for this company. But we, you know, when you're thinking about moving the quantity of building material to take up the volume of a house, the massive shipment of material and then moving that material from Quebec to the mountain west of the United States, it, where, you know, a lot of our projects are is a huge expense. And so sometimes the shipping is more than the material itself. So, but you know, the material still runs at a slight premium to what you'll see on the market for the cheapest fiberglass out there. But we think as the hemp sources get, you know, more abundant as the processing becomes more local and we're able to produce this in the United States and cut down on the shipping costs, you know, our goal is to make this extremely cost competitive while still realizing that it's a luxury product with benefits above and beyond what you would get currently. Well, let's talk about some of those benefits, like not getting, uh, what do you get from uh, fiberglass? Like breathing in those glass fibers? Like that stuff is just nasty. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was a carcinogen up until 2011 where it was kind of mysteriously removed and undesignated as such. And you can ask anyone who's installed fiberglass insulation, those those chewed up glass shards that get into your skin. It's abrasive. It can cause rashing. Um, and you know, it's like, it's not made from a regenerative material. Glass of course comes from sand. It's a depleting resource and there's no carbon sequestration element to it. I mean, when you're annually regrowing hemp, you're taking that volume and mass of carbon out of the air with each, with each growth cycle. And it's coming from, a renewable resource. And I think that's what excites people. I mean, there's, there's different elements. There's people who want to have the lowest carbon impact home possible. There's people who are extremely weary of um, what they call homesickness or sick house syndrome, where the materials and the off gassing of all the new materials in a house can potentially make them sick. And there's people that you know, are just looking to try something new and know that the materials that we've been using in our buildings haven't been given much consideration when it comes to how their effect on the environment. So we, we get customers who are coming from all sorts of different directions, but it's a product that ultimately meets a lot of their needs. And Idaho is experiencing a 
pretty big boom right now right like we're experiencing not right where i am but like just south of me in the flathead they're experiencing a giant boom i mean they're talking about getting like another forty thousand people in the next 10 years or something wow and how many are there now uh i don't know if they they're at a hundred thousand or something something around there like not it's just crazy yeah. how many people are moving here from California. Funny. I mean, there's all those fires that burn down. There's just more people on the planet. There's more people. You know, it's getting easier to live here. There's the technology in our area. We have really good technology. Like, one question people frequently ask me: What's your what's your you know internet like? And we have pretty good internet up here. Pretty good quality of life. Hmm. Um, but isn't Idaho like that? Like, I've heard Boise's is um growing really fast like is russell bronson near you do you know who he is from expert yeah the guy from oracle no or russell branson no i'm thinking of i mean i don't know uh, he has this thing called click funnels it's like kind of an online website thing somewhere Hmm. i don't know anyway but yeah, Idaho has been growing like crazy. I mean, there's so much space. My co-founder and I grew up in New Jersey, the most densely populated state. And now we're in Idaho, which probably competes with Montana for being one of the least densely populated, populated states. And it's, it's night and day difference. We're at New Jersey. Uh, Short Hills, New Jersey. And we both went to high school in Morristown, New Jersey. Oh my gosh. I lived in Livingston for a while in Morristown. Yeah, I know where that is. Um, I was just there yesterday. Oh, wow. And now you're in Idaho. And are you a rock star millennial born between 1980 and 1995? Uh, I was born in 1990. Awesome. I'm writing a book about rock star millennials because I think they get a bad rap. And I love the rock star millennials that I interview. Uh, I don't understand that rock star qualification. What does that mean? It means that you're doing something good for our planet. As far as my pot, it's like people, guests I've interviewed on my show that are some of the you know people who care, really care about the planet they're either farmers or gardeners or parents or you know they just kind of live an organic lifestyle they try to teach people about doing um you know taking care of our planet and they are so not lazy it started because this one guy down yeah. in texas who's so funny like i saw him posting on my stuff today and he's like jackie every time you mention a millennial i think of this video it's like Hmm. this video that's bashing millennials and calls them lazy and like all they want to do is sit around in their pajamas and like make money at starbucks online and like the people i interview are so not they're like the kind of people that will go like work on an organic farm for a vacation or to learn how to become and to me Hmm. farmers are like some of the hardest just like construction workers are really hard working people so i'm writing a book about the people i interview there's going to be 30 biographies of like um people that have been guests on my show that were born between those 15 years that are changing our world into a awesome place absolutely i mean (laughs) i i agree with you and i think there's so many people in our generation that are making examples of themselves like they're living lifestyles and doing work that they want other people to be doing and realizing that the change that they want to see in society, they have to kind of embody and become themselves. And, you know, we, we're tackling such a small part of one of the many world's problems, which is the types of building materials that we put in our homes and trying to redirect those towards more sustainable options. Um, But there's movements happening all over that I think are inspired by the consumer choices and the career choices made by the people in my generation. Think about the transition to different diets. 
from meat-based diets to plant-based diets, impossible meat, Beyond Burger, those types of products that are being purchased in mass by people, I feel like, in my demographic. And, you know, the uses of electricity. People are looking, okay, we don't want coal-powered electricity. We care. We care what turns on our lights. We want it to be from solar or hydro or some type of renewable, uh, less impactful source. And I think it just came with the upbringing and the knowledge. And I give a lot of credit to the, the generations that raised us that, um, you know, wanted to make sure that human growth and well-being and expansion on this planet doesn't interfere with the well-being of the planet itself. And, and how can we live in harmony and coincide? Well, this is all just awesome. And this is why I love millennials. And this is why I changed my podcast name recently from the Organic Gardener podcast to the Green Organic Gardener podcast. And also, I mean, my husband did raise two millennials and I am kind of partial to the people that raised them. And I think um, exactly what you're saying. And I don't understand why they get such a bad rap, but I know they do. <laughs> so anyway, I think that's probably a common thing that each generation has the gripes about the generation that comes after it i think that's probably just that's probably not new to history maybe maybe that's it so i don't know mm -hmm. what else do you want to tell us tommy like um what would what do you want listeners to know about uh, growing hemp or about your business or like and see the other thing that's great about you guys is you're creating green jobs Love totally that. Totally. Well, created one for ourselves, at least, and, and we're expanding in the near future and, and people should, if they want to hear more about our story, follow us on social media, sign up for our email list. Um, we really keep people informed of the journey we, we've been on and it, it truly has been a journey from where we started. And I won't give any people any more information about building and stuff. I think I want to overload with that. But if you want to come to our contractor training, or if you want to attend the Hemp Building Summit, um, you can find information about, out about that online. But I will say this, you know, my personal journey, I started working in investment banking out of college. I'm just reading your bio and like, looking at your guys' pictures. Oh, wow. These are awesome. <laughs> nice. Yeah, so I was doing something that I felt like was making the most money in the least amount of time possible and found out that I, that wasn't something that was going to really motivate me or, or make me work very hard. So it was a process of learning new things, moving to San Francisco, getting engaged with a mission-based startup for a completely different cause, which was children's STEM education, which you might know about it because you did say indicate that you were a teacher yourself. Yes. And, um, and then it was, you know, being open-minded, trying new things, all those experiments. I mean, you mentioned going to millennials working on organic farms for a vacation. I spent a weekend up at a, a tiny home builder workshop and that's where I got reintroduced to hempcrete. They mentioned it as a building material. It sparked a memory in me because I remembered my high school classmate who had launched a Kickstarter about um, for the first commercial hemp building project out in Idaho. And I had supported the Kickstarter then. And, you know, we reconnected and we went on this millennial journey together. And, and it's been a forward growth trajectory, growth trajectory ever since. Uh, cool. So... Where Should we break that? My family has now left the building, so I'm trying to figure out where they might have gone. Oh, sorry. Uh, where do you guys want to see, well, like, what are you looking forward to in 2020? Yeah, 2020 is going to be great for hemp architecture. We've got, in January, a huge hemp wool installation for a project in Los Angeles. It's Venice Beach, California. It's for a pretty well-renowned billionaire in the United States. 
um, for a house designed by Olson Kunde. And so we're going to go on site. We're going to put in the hemp wool. We're going to photograph and video it, really get the word out about this product and show this shining example of it in use. And then we're having a contractor training session at our offices, which have now just been outfitted for the production of hemp building materials so we can in-house make hemp insulation blocks, as well as train people how to use this material and, and just share all the knowledge we've gained up until this point. And then we're back in February installing in Austin, Texas. Austin's been a region that has been very, very interested in hemp building and hemp in, as well in general. And so we're looking forward to spending time down there. Awesome. You know, one of the uh, best high schools in the United States is in Austin, Texas, because I've been researching. I've been telling my stepdaughter she should take my granddaughter to a really good STEM school. It's a, I'm pretty sure it's a STEM school <laughs> down there. Um, so that doesn't surprise me. I believe me. it. Uh, well, this is so cool. And see, like another thing, like our our district in where I live is trying to build a school. And for the last three years, they've tried to pass a school bond and they can't get it passed. And I keep telling them, like, one of the things is if you're expecting all of us taxpayers to pay for a school for the next 20 years, so it's going to be done in 2040, we're going to be done paying for it in 2040 anyway. We want it to be, you know, green. We want it to be, you know, environmentally friendly. We want something that's going to be, um, you, you know, that's going to use less... It's going to be efficient, like, you know, that's going to use less, um, you know, things to heat it. And just like, I just feel like this could be a solution for them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think it's good for kids, like you were saying, like to have people moving into places that are, um, you know, healthy. Because uh, right now they're saying that it's not a safe place for our kids. Like it's crumbling. It needs repair. The repairs are expensive. Does it still have asbestos? I don't even know. It's like there might be some asbestos tile tiles here and there, or maybe not. I don't know. Or maybe like in the cinder. No, that wouldn't make sense. I don't know. But anyway, I know that they mm -hmm. need to get that. But the other thing I keep thinking about is like that wool for the insulation. Like that's something that people can do right now if they had that totally. to make their homes more efficient. Because I, I just, I know so many people lose um, heat and are just wasting energy by letting, if you don't have good insulation in your walls between your windows. And like one of the places they say is like your electrical outlets, excuse me, your electrical outlets. And that could go there, right? Like things like that. Yeah. Well, air finds a way and heat finds a way to move through gaps. Thermal bridging is a huge problem for heat loss. Uh, so what about like, so Mike and I, like I said, we've always dreamed of building a straw bale house. Like you were saying there were some things people would have to think about, but like if you're building a house from scratch, is this like something people could be looking into? Yeah, absolutely. We, we have conversations every day with people who are building their dream house and want to use hempcrete or considering materials like hempcrete and straw bale and that's what we do. But like, what are some of the different, like, I know, like I have a friend, one of the teachers up here actually lives in a straw bale house. And I love the way you, like you said, it's like got the Adobe cause you can make it and you can have like rounded corners. Like that's something that's always like appealed <laughs> to me and that it's really wide. Like you can kind of sit like where the windows are. Right. And things like that. Like it gives you a lot more, um, if you're going to design your own house, it gives you a lot more potential opportunities, right. To use something like this. 
yes, if you're designing, you can choose whichever materials you want. I'd, I'd encourage you from the very beginning to think about how these materials are going to fit together and reach for more sustainable ones. And then correct again, straw bale and hempcrete have to have much more depth to their wall because the insulation value per inch is less. Now, there are many different things that make up how hot or cold your home is. How is the moisture being regulated inside the home? We just talked about thermal bridging. Are there any gaps? And so when you build a monolithic wall that has moisture absorption capabilities as well as thermal mass, like a hempcrete wall, you're going to have a home that's able to regulate the heat very effectively, even though the thermal resistance of the material per inch, which is the standard we measure insulation materials by, is very small. So that means you have to build very deep walls. We're talking six to 12 inches to achieve the insulation value that is set by code based on our value. Hempel doesn't have that problem. Hempel is as thermally efficient per inch as fiberglass pad insulation. And so you can put it between a four inch stud cavity or a six inch stud cavity. Whereas hempcrete, you probably need eight to 12 inches of insulation. Oh, okay, good to know. Well, what else, anything else you want to tell us that we haven't talked about today? Um, no, we talked about a lot and I don't want to overload people. And I, I think they should just focus on the messages out there and then do research for themselves. I will say one funny anecdote, as you mentioned, asbestos in that school in Austin, the town that produces the hemp wool material, the manufacturing town is called asbestos, asbestos Quebec. And the reason it's called that is because it had the world's largest asbestos mine there. They had to move the town four times as the asbestos mine got bigger. I went and actually visited this mine myself. And obviously asbestos is no longer used. Um, and so they've, they've kind of shut down production there. And the government, in, it, in an opportunity to kind of revitalize industry in the town with a, in a new direction, sponsored the creation of a hemp insulation company. Asbestos, of course, was a you know, harmful building insulation material. And now this town has rebirthed a new company that produces non-harmful insulation. And I think that's kind of poetic that that's been the current fate of the, the town. That is poetic. And, you know, that's one of the things that hemp does is it mines like um, toxins out of the soil. That's another one of its perks. So that's great that they're mm -hmm. doing that. They are. We have a really big asbestos mine um, in our county. It's in like our county is really big and it's it's on the other side the like west side of it but down in libby it's like an epa you know environmental site like it's a huge huge uh it was a source of i want to say like they made that vermiculite out of it that they used to put in mm. gardens or whatever but it, i know it's a giant mm. asbestos thing anyway tommy tell people where they get to see your website and your guys' awesome pictures and learn more about your www.hempitecture.com that's h-e-m-p-i-t-e-c-t-u-r-e.com it's like architecture but with hemp because that's what we want to be doing you want to be driving by a building site and say that that's a hemp architecture building site they're using hemp-based building materials um or follow us on social media again it's just at hempitecture we just hit our 10,000 follows on facebook threshold so that's a great way to start the decade and um you know we couldn't be more excited for what's ahead well, cool. Well, thanks for being a rock star millennial and changing our world and sharing with us today. So you have a, a great day and a happy 2020. And hopefully we'll hear more from you. Thanks, Jay. Happy New Year.
get your copy of the Organic Oasis Guidebook available today from Amazon. It's got 12 lessons designed to help you create your own Organic Oasis. Um, it starts with healthy soil. It talks about building an earth-friendly landscape. It helps you understand the difference between annuals and perennials and how to bring in beneficial insects. It talks about fruit trees and just um, all the lessons that I've learned on my podcast mixed with what Mike and I have done here. Okay, what Mike has done here at Mike's Green Garden and just um, I hope that it will help you on your garden journey uh, to create, like I said, your own organic oasis, um, where you can have healthy food and enjoy, um, you know, a very special place. And most of all, it's good for mother earth. Hey there, green future growers. Would you like your friends and neighbors to create an organic oasis too? Would you like others in your area to learn about earth friendly practices for their gardens and yards? If so, we would love it if you would share the Organic Gardener podcast with your local community or college radio station today. Thanks again for listening and remember, grow local.